0: Good morning. We are so glad that you are here today. Thank you for choosing to come to worship here at Gorsal Baptist Church with us. I don't know how long. Now, I, I like that theme a lot. We may have to change it out. Uh, I don't know how long y'all have been Star Wars. I like it a lot. But we're not going Star Wars. We're going to... Star Wars, and it's about this cosmic battle uh, between good and evil, God and Satan, and we are smack dab in the middle of that as God's people, as God's children. Now, how many of you, by the way, um, are would you count yourself at least having seen or liked Star Wars a little bit? Can you give me a hand? Yeah, so why many you guys, okay, well, do you know this? Do you know that there's another movie coming out in December? Yeah, it's called Rogue One. Rogue One, and here's what's cool about that is, back in the first movie, which was what number like three, five, six, I don't know, they they the number them all backwards. And so, but anyway, in that movie, they mention that an agent, a, a spy named Rogue One, got the plans for the Death Star, and that's really all that really is mentioned about Rogue One. But well, what they decided to do, in the interest of making lots of money, they decided add now different movies to the Star Wars story. And so when it comes out in December, and again, it's called Rogue 1, you'll see it says this, a Star Wars movie. Not Star Wars the movie, a Star Wars movie. Well, that's kind of what we're doing in the middle of Star Wars. I want to do a series within a series. And here's how it played out. Um, As we talk about, you see, every slide in that video has a purpose for being there. It tells the story, it tells the series, what we're going to talk about along. And we talk about the armor of God, put on the armor of God. And I had planned to give that a couple of of weeks and just kind of go over it kind of lightly. And then I just realized that we need something bigger than that, that we need to really spend some time So we're in Star Wars, but we're in that mini-series that's going to be called just simply Armor. Just simply called Armor. And we're going to take the next seven weeks and look at a piece of armor every day. And of course, that story is found in Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at starting today for the next several weeks with other scriptures mixed in, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, Ephesians is divided into two parts. You've got the first three chapters, and that first three chapters, Paul kind of talks about right into the church of Ephesus. He talks about um, who we are, all the indicatives of who we are as a child of God. And then verses, uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, he then gives us imperative for how it is we're supposed to live out that. And that's where the armor comes from. that in chapter 6, he gives us this illustration about Roman armor because you've got to understand, Roman soldiers were everywhere. In fact, Paul was very close to them. Sometimes he was chained to them. And he's trying to explain what he had taught in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesus. He said, how can I help this stick in their brains and their hearts? He came up with the idea of an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that of the armor of God, how we put on each piece of the armor. Now, along the path of preparing for this, um, I know a couple of our classes has did a series um, called The Armor of God by Priscilla Schreiber. And try. So what I did is, I, I, I'm doing this to stay pure before you, is I have been using her material as study material. Um, I'm not a guy who goes to sermon.com and gets my sermons. I don't have them delivered in the mail. I always try to say, God, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to deliver it? But in this particular case, if you hear some illustrations or something, if you've had that course and it sounds familiar, yes, that's where the thought of the idea came from from that series. So uh, I wanna give her the credit that's due there for some of the illustrations and some of the teaching that you're gonna hear. Uh, I tried to tweak it, make it mine, and I th- I told Judy, I said Judy, this is hard. When I study my material what God gives me and I make it up totally, that, that's that's decent. I can handle that. Trying to, to make someone else's material, you know, make it personally mine so I can teach it to you is much, much more difficult. It really is. So today we want to start in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, and we're going to talk about this standing thing, and then we're going to end up with this belt of truth. This belt of truth. And we're going to learn today, hopefully, that truth is very, very important. I'll already tell you this we've already whacked her in two. Okay, so you need to come back Wednesday night at 6, and we're going to finish up uh, the sermon here today talking about truth. I found a natural breaking point. See, like God said, that's where you need to break it. So that's what we'll do, and we'll finish up on Wednesday night at 6, under the steeple, on our Wednesday night worship time. So I hope you can come back for that. So truth is important, and probably that's never so important than it is when we fly today. Gene and I have had the privilege of flying all over the world, and we found out that security for flying has increased greatly. Let me tell you, give you a little illustration. I first flew um, back in 1972. I know that because I've never flown in my life, and in January, I raised my right hand and said that I would join the United States Air Force. So I finished high school. They called it delayed enlistment. I finished high school. I graduated on Friday and reported on Monday and left on Tuesday. And what happened was we went to the airport. Mom and Dad wasn't allowed. There was one guy that was there. And if you've ever been in the military, he's one of your favorite people, the recruiter. Isn't it amazing how, as I as I remember it, I'm there at the gate, you know, and he's shaking my hand. Me and a bunch of guys, you know, shaking our hands. that we're leaving we're from Jacksonville, Florida. And he had that smile on the face. And I think the smile said, ha, 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 I lied to you. as we got on the plane. You just, just got to feel that. But here's the deal. Back in those days, back in the 70s, the, the family or whoever was seeing you all, to go all the way, all the way to the gate. All you have to do is show up at the gate, show your ticket, no boarding passes, just show your ticket, you got on board and. Off you went into the wild blue yonder. That's how it happened. When I came back from, from basic training and from tech school, um, mom and dad took me to the airport the second time I flew. Flew to good old Minot, North Dakota, where freezing is the reason. And, um, you know, why not Minot? Freezing is the reason. And uh, so so got there, and, you know, and, and mom and dad was there and gave me a hug and sent me on my way that way. And it was really cool. And you know, I stayed that way. I mean, the world we lived in at that time. Was, there was no need. There's just no need for this type of security. And somewhere along the way, someone decided to hijack airplanes. And so, security got a little tougher. What they did was, they said, okay, two things. First off, you have to show an ID. And then, secondly, if you don't have a ticket, you can't go past a certain point. It still wasn't much at all. So you hugged your mom and dad or whoever it was and you stayed out there and you showed the guy your your driver's license or your passport or your military ID in my case, you showed him that, you got on the plane and off you went. Yay! And then somewhere in the 90s and the 2000s, it got a lot more serious. And more and more serious and more and more serious until 9-11. And when 9-11 happened, and those hijackers were able to get on the plane in spite of showing their ID, in spite of having a passport, all those things that they checked, they were able to do what they did on 9-11. Security ramped up a lot. And that's when, you know, we started checking backpacks and all those different things, if you'd to know how security is. And then a guy named Richard Breed, some years later, decided to put an explosive in his shoes. And so now when you go through security, you have to take the shoe off, you have to take the belt off, I'm just waiting for somebody's pants to talk. It's going to you happen. Know, you know, you have to take all this stuff off. And then finally, even now, there's something new and bigger and better and stronger. And that is, you know, when you step up to security, before you go to security, they actually stop you at this little table, this little stand. And you show up, and you give them your boarding pass, and you give them your form of ID. Um, it could be a passport. It could be, a, and most likely, it could be a driver's license. And so the, the person will take the picture, you know, look at you, make sure it's you, you know. You know Gee, you can gained weight, you know, some comment like that. Or, or you've lost your hair or something, some snazzy comment. And, and so they look at that, okay, but then they use something else. Then they take your driver's license or your passport and they put it over underneath a black box. And I don't know if you notice know or not, but imprinted on your driver's license or in your passport are these codes, and when they put that under the black light, an emblem appears of the state of Illinois if you got an LA license, and it seems to hover right above the driver's license. And what that does is, is they realize that it was awful easy to manufacture fake driver's licenses. So they had to come up with a technology that the enemy did not have, and that technology is that black light with that emblem that comes up and it proves that that driver's license is authentic. Now here's what you may not know. There's a new federal mandate, and Illinois, of course, has not met that mandate. It's to be so much more stronger even than it is now. So when Judy and I go to see Sarah and Blake at the military base, our driver's license is not accepted because it's not met that new technology. We have to take our passport to get on base. And all of that, from, from you know showing up and waving and saying, hi, see you later, all the way to now, where states are being mandated to even transform their license again, are for one reason. Consequences. Consequences. The government realizes that at all costs, it's important that we make sure the right people are getting on the airplanes. Because if the wrong people go on the planes, Tragedy happens. Tragedy happens. So they will go at any expense to make sure that the identification, that this is, you are who you say you are, to that identification is valid and real. And they do that by putting it under that special light where that emblem that you can't even see appears and validates the license declaring who you are. Well, let me tell you something. That proves that that is truly a valid blessing. And the same way, we need something that will validate what truth is in our lives. You know, how do we know what to do? How do we know how we live? How do we know we, how do we want to be a parent? How do we want to do our marriage? And those are good things. And let me tell you something. Truth is just like that light. God's truth is like that light. It validates who we are and how we are to live in this world. Is hugely, hugely important. So we want to take a look. And so the place we ought to start, should start, and will start is with truth. I know y'all think I don't know anything else to teach. But I'm telling you guys, in these latter days we're living in, it's so vitally important that we become students of the word of God. God's word is truth. And if we're going to survive and live in these three worlds, we're going to thrive in this world that we live in, this culture. We have got to know what the Word of God says. So let's start looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Now again, keep it in mind, okay, that Paul is using this as an analogy, okay, because he's trying to teach truth like I'm trying to teach truth today. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. He says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong power in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His mind. So, as we face this enemy, this adversary we've been talking about now for several weeks, we can't do it in our own strength. We have to do it in the power of His mind. And then he says this once, he's going to say it again. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, they knew instantly what this analogy was. Everywhere they looked, they saw a Roman soldier... And he had basically the same armor on. So when Paul said, put on the whole armor of God, in imagery, just started popping up. The helmet, the breastplate, the, the, the uh, belt of truth, the belt, and the, and the shoes shod, and the sword of the spirit. Those things instantly popped into their mind. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to... Stand, and this is where I thought David was going with the scripture today that he read, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. He says, verse 12, you got to understand something he says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't need to get that. If you look to your left or look to your right, that is not the enemy. In fact, the enemy is not outside these four walls. The, the, enemy, the enemy does not have a a G for Democrat or R for Republican. It does not have that. The, the enemy is much bigger than that. So it's not your brother. It's not your sister. It's not the Methods. It's not the Presbyterian. It's not the church across town that doesn't believe exactly like, like we believe. No, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, you may not have signed up for this. On on that day in January, I I gladly and willingly signed up to be a part of the United States Air Force. And you may say, I didn't sign up for spiritual warfare. But you've got to understand when you became a child of God, when you became a Christ follower, then the devil became your enemy. And by default, you became a soldier in this war. You do not have a choice. The choice you have is how committed you are to the battle but not whether you're a battle or not. So in verse 13 Paul says this Therefore, take up again, here it is again, notice the whole armor of God not pieces, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, if I was if I was a Bible person, and I'm one of those guys that write my Bible, I would underline that. Because the purpose of the armor is to allow you to be able to withstand in the evil day. And I wrote down in my note page, this evil day. I understand there has been evil days throughout history. But I'm telling you, I think because Satan knows his time is short, the days are becoming more and more incredibly Evil, And I do not think that it's going to get easier or better. I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So Paul says, put on the armor of God that you may be able to withstand in this evil day that we're living in. If I was a young parent sitting here today, if I was a young parent I had young kids, and you knew what kind of world your kids are going to grow up in, I would say, I didn't pay attention right now. Um, If if I was a medium age, or if I was a grandma or grandpa, I would be saying, if I had some kind of influence on my my grandkids, I would say this is really important to hear today. If I was a senior adult, and I realized that people looked at me as being a mentor, I would say this is something I need to listen to today. Because we need to be able to stand within and in this evil day. And then he says, having done all to stand, to be stable, to be secure, to be rock solid. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, and here he here goes. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now you're going to see, as we look at this armor, that's divided into two groups. The first group is the belt of truth, the breastplate, and the, few, and the shoes, our feet think shop in the preparation of the gospel. And, and it's all preceded by standing. Look what Again, look what he says. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with preparation of the gospel. So these are things, this is how we stand. How we stand in this evil day. We start with this belt of truth. Now the belt of truth, again, uh, to me, the logical answer would be today, if you've ever been in the military, you know there's a utility belt. And it's usually about three and a half inches wide. It's a web, and it's got many holes in it and you hook different things on that, might be your canteen, your, canteen, your best kid, could be several things. Probably though, for our illustration here, the best thing we have, now again, I have to go on speculation of this, because believe me, I don't go to the gym. You can probably tell that, okay? The only gym I wanna know is J-I-M, one of my friends. Don't wanna know it's G-Y-M, okay? But I understand, that if if these weightlifters who are going to lift these incredible heavy weights, they put on this belt. And normally it has a wide spot in the middle, and even the front is still like, like four, five, six inches. And they strap that on, and the broad part supports the back, okay, and it comes around and strengthens the front. The whole purpose of the belt is to strengthen your core. The whole purpose of the belt is to give you that strength that you need. Well, that's the illustration of the Roman soldier. This was a very wide belt, and it strengthens his core. It gives him the stability that he needs. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. The truth, the belt of truth would always hook to the breastplate. So you'd have the breastplate here, and it, you can probably see why. It would hook to this belt, and that would give the breastplate stability. It wouldn't allow it to move around. It would hold it into place, and isn't it wonderful how the word of God is that truth and righteousness are connected? It's very important important that we understand the truth about our righteousness. Let me say it again: It's very important we understand the truth about our righteousness. You need to understand something. If you are a child of God today, if you're a child of God today, you are righteous. You are righteous. You're not righteous because you go to church. You're not righteous because you read your Bible. You're not righteous because you've been baptized. You're not righteous because you're a Baptist. You're not righteous because you know, you wear certain clothes. And God goes, yay, you wore certain clothes. You are righteous today because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Again, that wonderful verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So it's wonderful how truth and righteousness, But we'll talk about it next week, that's how wonderful how truth and righteousness are connected together. So, so we have this important, incredibly important thing, this belt that Paul says is the belt of truth. Now why is that so important? Why is truth so important in spiritual warfare? Well, let me give you a couple things to remember leading into why that's so important. First thing I want you to remember is this. You are of infinite value to God. Yeah, that's, that's good if I say you, I don't think we get that. I think we, I still think a chunk of us still believe that God us in the family because he had to, because he made a promise, and if he could undo the deal, he could undo the deal. You are of infinite value. Remember, for God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you are of infinite value to God. You need to understand that. That's part of the truth. But here's the big deal. This is what you need to write down today. is You are of important strategic value to the enemy. You are of strategic value to you're probably going and saying, I don't know if that's true, Dwayne. I mean, I understand why maybe the staff as public speakers and public figures. Maybe you would be of strategic value that Satan could get you to stumble or fall, that maybe that would be of strategic value to him. I certainly understand why famous evangelists like Billy Graham, I certainly get that, Dwayne. But me, I'm just an everyday believer. I'm certainly of no strategic value to the enemy. And that's exactly... What he wants you to believe. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this truth. The truth is. The truth is. That when one believer. Who publicly claims to know Jesus Christ. Is tempted and gives in and lives a lifestyle. That same wants them to live. It hurts the kingdom of God. It hurts the kingdom of God. So you are of strategic value. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I want you to listen real carefully. That's true on Tuesday morning when the neighbor's dog has got into your garbage and tore your trash up, And you get out there and you rant and rave about the neighbor's dog and you are not very God. It's important then. It's true then. It's true when you are down at the coffee shop and the topic of religion comes up and you say something that probably is not very godly, it's true then that you're of strategic value. But here's what I want you to hear. I'm not so sure our value to the enemy is ever more important than it is right here. Right? What do you mean by I mean this. If Satan can get us that ungodly while we're trying to worship, while the Word of God is being preached, during the invitation time, when soul, listen, the souls of men hang in the balance. If he can somehow use us in his strategy, then he is a very happy enemy. I can't tell you. I don't want you to be ungodly when the neighbor's dog chews up your garbage. I don't want you to be ungodly. I don't think you ought to be ungodly um, you when know, something else happens in the world. But when we step foot on this holy Ground. When we step foot on this holy ground, we have got to be on our best behavior. We have got to be most alert for the attacks of the enemy. Because I promise you, Satan loves it when ungodliness happens during the house of God. In the house. Listen, this is huge. Not trying to, don't have an agenda, not trying to make a statement besides this. We've got to be careful. Because if Satan can disrupt worship, If Satan can disrupt the preaching of the Word of God, if Satan can disrupt the invitation time, souls won't be saved. Lives won't be recommitted. Decisions won't be made. Lessons won't be learned. God can't and won't be worshipped. He knows that. And here's the crazy part. He's good. He's good. He's so good at this, he he doesn't use like a one-size-fits-all. He knows specifically our weakness, our kink in the armor. He knows how to press your button. He knows exactly how to whisper in your ear something that will set you off. Whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's at McDonald's, or whether it's here. He is good at what he does. He has a strategic plan to get you to be part of his strategic plan. You know, there's a great story in 1 Kings 22 34. And it involves um, Ahab. You probably, you know anything about the Bible the Old Testament, Ahab was probably the worst king there ever was. And then a guy named Jehoshaphat. ever heard of Je- Jumping Jehoshaphat? Well, he's the guy jumping. Just being funny. That's all. Okay? But it was Jehoshaphat. And so Jehoshaphat calls Ahab and says, let's go to war together. And Ahab says, Okay, They get some prophets together to see how the battle's going to go. And of course, you don't want to amen. So all the prophets go, yay, you'll win, yay, you'll win, yay, you'll win. And they call the prophet of God. And so he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, you'll win. And they say, don't give us that. We know you're a prophet of God. Tell us the truth. <laughs> what he basically says is, okay, have, you're going down. You're going to die. And then he goes, amen. They just, you can't win, thing you know? They go mad at See, I told you he'd say something bad about me. And they didn't you know, get him out of the way. They go to battle. Okay? And and Ahab is so, like, you know, paranoid. He says to Jehoshaphat, you wear the royal robes. I'm going to dress like a Okay? So he gets in his chariot. He's riding along. You the know, I read the Bible. It's really cool. The Bible says that an Armenian soldier randomly, Shoots an arrow, and that arrow finds its way into Ahab's chariot in between the joints of his armor, and he is wounded. And he says, "Get me off the battlefield, for I am dying." And guess what? He died. He died. And of course, we we obviously know the sovereignty of God. We see God's purpose will not be thwarted in that. But in a similar way, it may seem, in a similar way, it may seem that Satan would be a random attacker. He's not. Just as sure as God sent the arrow, so Satan, listen, there's a lot of things Satan don't, doesn't know. He knows you. He doesn't know everything, but he knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He's seen your weaknesses. He may have heard about your weaknesses, but he knows your weaknesses. And because he loves to, again, to to hurt the kingdom strategy, he will use something specific for you. It may be this thing. It may be this thing. It may be this thing. It may be how you dress. I don't know. But he will use, if you're not careful, he will use a strategic strategy to get to you He is so good at what he does Now, the first thing I want you to remember those two things Your infinite value to God Your strategic value to Him The second thing is this The hallmark of Satan's work is deception This is something we talked about Over the last couple of weeks You mark it down He is on, he, he's good He's awesome At deception At deception He wants to deceive you and to do His will and His did. Now I, know it's, I know it's ancient history now. Um, but I'll bring it up today in a minute. It's ancient history, but you know there was a thing called World War II. And when I was younger, it wasn't too long ago, but now it's you know, 67 years ago. But watch now. When Hitler knew that he was going to lose the war, he decided one more big offense, and that was called the Battle of the Bulge. You heard of movie before? Battle of Bulge. As a precursor to the Battle of Bulge, he did something. He first went to the battlefields and got uniforms. And he took uniforms of American soldiers and made them look new. Specifically, he got the uniforms of military police. He went through his army and found people who could speak English without an accent. Then he had those MPs go through the area of the Battle of the Bulge and change the road signs. So when the Americans who were in full retreat because they were all totally off guard, when they're in full retreat, they come up to an intersection and somebody said, "I don't think that's the way." And an MP said, "Yeah, it is. Hurry, go! They're coming." Often shoot them. What a great plan of deception. We see that in terrorism today. What's the terrorist try to do? Blend into the crowd. Blend into the neighborhood. Blend into the apartment building. That is deception. And those are the kind of techniques that Satan does. He is great at deception. Now we use this verse a while back in John 8.44. This is the uh, New International Version 84. Okay, 84. Listen to this. You belong, this is Jesus speaking, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but there was no truth in him. When he lies, notice, not if he lies, when he lies, he speaks his native language, as for he is a liar and the father's father of lies. So you've got to understand that about the enemy. Satan, because he's a great liar and a great deceiver, can make the truth sound like a lie, and a lie sound like the truth. He can make the truth sound like a lie, and a lie sound like the truth. He's great at what he does. He's so good at it, we can be deceived and not even know it. If we're counting ourselves, our own energies, our own wisdom, he's so good at it, we can be deceived. Now, others can see it, but we can't see it. We can't. See, that's why we need help. That's why we need help. He may say, you know, something God says, and say, "Oh, God didn't really say that." Does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter three. Did He didn't really say? If it get you to doubt God, that's something He will do. He'll get you to believe. You know, God will say one thing about you, and He'll say another. You know, I'm sitting at the table trying to be funny, and I actually folks that laugh, so it's good. I always like when you say something funny laugh. But we're sitting there, and the folks I was sitting with, um, you know, somebody eating some more food, and the wife didn't, and the husband said, Well, you know, I you just started my diet, you know? And I said, Dude, I'm right in the middle. I said, No, dude, listen. If you already sinned, you might as well sin again, you No, know, Sin once, you might as well sin more. Right? Uh-huh. I was trying to be funny, and they laughed, but here's the deal it's the truth. That's what Satan tells us. You failed already. You might as well fail some more. You sinned once. Why don't you just sin? Does this sound familiar? He does that. He does that. He's such a great deceiver. He tries to convince us to go ahead and sin more since we've already done that. He, he'll sit there and he'll take the things you know, that, that God doesn't care about his word. He doesn't care about obedience. He did not care how you live. Lie, lie, lie. Why? Because that's his native language. It's his native language. So we can be being deceived and not even know we're being deceived. It's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. You know, have you ever seen these folks like on TV, these great musician folks, and they have somebody levitate? Is that right? Is that right? Is that right when you float? Yeah, and, and they'll take a ring and they'll put it underneath the person below the other person, and you're going, oh my gosh. He's making that person float. And you really believe it. Well, guess what? There ain't nobody can make a person float. It's smoke and mirrors. And how they do it, I don't know how they do it, but how they do it is they'll put your attention on one thing so you're not watching another. They'll have you focus on one thing so you're not seeing what they're doing over here. And that is what Satan does. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says this. In their case, Paul's speaking, in their case, the godless age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says that Satan will blind unbelievers to the glorious truth of the gospel. You ever wonder why why folks go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why not you get this weird response. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. Now here, I want to be very careful with this scripture. I don't want to make it say something that's not Satan. But I promise you this. If it's true with unbelievers, it's true with believers too. Listen, Satan can't possess you. If you're a child of God, Satan cannot possess you. Satan cannot own you. But he can't. He can't possess you, he can't own you, but he can influence you. Now listen carefully, look okay? Your mind is up for grabs. Your mind, just like he blinds the minds of unbelievers, your mind is up for grabs. As much as he can flood your mind with untruth and deception, he will do it. We were talking, you know, with the guys at breakfast the other day. And we made it clear. He can't possess a believer. He can't own a believer. But man, he can mess with this thing. Can I have a witness? He messes with your brain. Students, he'll sit there. You know, he'll do that. You'll know what's right. You know what's right. You know what's right. And all of a sudden, you find yourself doing this crazy thing that's not right. He, he got you your brain. He got you your brain. You, you know what's right to do. And you're also you're, you're saying, well, maybe. And all of a sudden, you find yourself doing it. He got you your brain. Just like he blinds the minds of unbelievers, he does that. He doesn't listen. Here's a verse we've heard recently. 2 Corinthians 11, 14. And no wonder. For Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. An angel of light. He wants truth and lie to be so close. by yourself can't tell the difference. He wants his will and God's will to look so close, you can't tell the difference. I don't quote to many dead people. Um, like know preachers. But this is what Charles Spurgeon said. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Let me read that again. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. is knowing the difference between right and almost right right. Because Satan doesn't play fair. And because he's good at what he does. He will take something right and then almost right and get you to do this. Um, my words would be this. Truth and near truth. There is no such thing as halfway true. There's nothing halfway right or wrong. There's not half a sin. We've got to be aware of this. Because he disguises himself as an angel of light. the choice he brings to you may appear right. But we need something that will help us to see the difference. Because we're not that good. We're not that good. Listen, you can't trust your emotions. She said on the video, she said, Emotions don't have intellect. They're just emotions. How many times have you made a decision in the heat of the moment? It may have been anger. It may have been passion. But at the moment, you've done that because you trusted your emotions. Emotions don't have intellect. And guess what? You can't trust your heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it? Who can know it? We got to have some outside help. We've got to have outside help. Just like that TSA agent had to have something to help him see. Is this a good driver's license? Yes, it's got his picture. Yes, the information matches. But is it really real? And he would pass it under the light, verifying that license. God's truth is that life. God's truth is that light. We can't trust our emotions. We can't trust our hearts. But we can trust the Word of God. Now, in Psalm 119, verse 105, there's a couple key things. And I say, I hope you'll come back Wednesday night to hear the rest of this message. It's worth your time. Not because I'm teaching it, but because of the truth is that value. Okay? Listen to Psalm 119, 105. Your word, your truth, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet, that light to my path. Your word, if I, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm facing decisions, should I do this, should I do that? What's right and what's wrong? And God's word declares. This word, this, this holy book, the truth of it, God's truth, will guide your path. It will tell you how to step and how to walk. I watched, I don't think she'll mind me telling you this, this, but um, we were leaving rehearsal for the wedding on Friday night. You know? And it was kind of already kind of dark up the front. We kind of had the lights down. And uh, you know, the mom. I'll use her name just in case it's not right. The mom. And actually, I walked away. And I heard this boom. And uh, you know the corner where the steps step, stick out in our sanctuary where the organ the piano are? Right there. Bam. Down she went. Down she went. She couldn't see the giant. Kind of reminds me of another story. About a girl named Juke who walked out one night and pitched black. I mean pitch black. Trivial hearting blood and shattered her arm. It wasn't that she was feeble. It wasn't that she was old. The truth was really she couldn't see. And so often when we stumble and fall spiritually, it's not that we're feeble. We just can't see. And the word of God said, your word's a lamp to my feet. It will help me to see. It will light will my path. So I'll know if it's right. I'll know. Perhaps, surely, equally as important is Psalm 119, 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, listen. Saint How many of us push back from scripture memorization? I can't memorize scripture. I can't memorize Scripture. You know who's told you that? The enemy, Satan. You know why? Who knows the value of Scripture? And when that stuff gets in our heart, and with the coupling of the Holy Spirit rent, and Satan approaches and says on a Friday night, hey, girl, you all do this, hey, God, soon you all do this, you got that stuff in your heart, you got the Holy Spirit, what a powerful combination. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, no, this is wrong. And instantly, God puts in your hand a piece of the sword to combat. He gives you a piece of the sword to combat. Isn't that what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4? It is written, thou shalt not. It is written, it is written. The answer is putting that stuff in our hearts. And again, we're going to talk about that Wednesday night. So we need help. But God's the kind of God that does not leave us out. Keep in mind, the consequences are great. You know, part of the consequences is, you know, here this life here. He wants you. Jesus wants you to have the abundant life. He wants you to have the best marriage. He wants you to be the best parent. Students, he wants you to have a great relationship with parents. He wants you to grow up and enjoy success within His realm, within His will. He wants that, and that's part of the consequences. Satan does not want you to have that. He comes to steal, heal and to destroy. But you know he also is in the, in the balance? Men's souls. Men's souls. Hey, students, there's someone in your high school who desperately needs Jesus. And you're the person who can influence that person. You better believe Satan's going to untarnish. you. Once you make a stand, once you make a stand, I'm going to be a minister. I you to have to all over the world. Because if he can get you to stumble and fall, he scores big. You just put a bigger bullseye on your chest. He knows this stuff. He knows this stuff. But God's given us help. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Your word about hitting my heart that I might not sin against thee. I don't know what a parent or just want to be the best parent. Husbands, every husband should want to be the best husband. Every wife should want to be the best wife. Every teacher should want to be the best teacher. That all revolves around the belt of truth. So our bottom line is this. Are you willing to invest in the Word of God? Are you willing to invest in the Word of God? Some of you, 30-year-olds are really smart, 25-year-olds are really smart. Even though you probably retire for another 30 or 40 years, you've already started to put money in the bank for retirement. And that compound interest is going to kick in. All things create equal, and you'll be able to retire confidently. You're looking to the future, investing in the future. Are you willing to invest in the work of God? Are you willing now to invest in the work, pour it into your life so that in the future, whether it's a day, Five days, ten days, or years. When that time comes, when the evil one comes and says, ta-da-da, 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 you're going to say, God's word says. Are you willing to invest in the word? Second, are you willing to get into the word and the word get into you? They're, they're different. Are you willing to get into the word? When you came today, to Sunday school and you're a Bible teacher. When you come here in this joint worship service and you're a Bible teacher, that's getting into the world. But it's not the same as the world getting into you. What will you do with the truth you hear? I'm going to give you something from her that she said. This is hers. We've got to get our Sundays into our Mondays. We've got to get our Sundays into our Mondays. You get no credit Coming to hear a message and doing nothing with it. Just doesn't do anything for you. got It's like going to the doctor and the doctor says you've got to lose 25 pounds, you go home and you can't in pie. Not a lot of value in that. Not a lot of value. Are you willing to get into the Word and the Word will get into you? Remember the consequences of your Father, we thank you for this good day. And I want to thank you for the privilege of teaching your word today. God's valuable. It's just so valuable. I want to pray, Father, right now that as you are speaking to hearts, I'm glad you let David share about the gospel because I couldn't get back into the word today here. But Father, there's someone here today who's never experienced your glorious grace and forgiveness of sin. I know that it's the Holy Spirit that draws people so, if my brother and friend stands out front as you're pulling them to Jesus, give them the courage to stand and say, I want this Jesus. I want this grace. I want this forgiveness. I want this peace. Father, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, oh, give us this help we Father, thank you that your word is the light. We need something outside of ourselves because it's not enough something is alive. Maybe we want to invest. Maybe we want to get into the words of working it into us. May we bring our Sundays into our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays. Have your way, God. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.